Hey everyone, this is John. We are cross-posting an episode from the Woke Isn't Enough podcast from the Healing Equity United team of Fiona Oliphant and Jess Aiden Lee. Woke Isn't Enough is a new podcast that challenges all of us to recognize how we sustain systems of oppression and what it will really take to finally disrupt them once and for all. Jess invited me on a talk with them about how I have been talking about racial equity and racial justice with Malcolm. I'm honored that they would have me on and hopefully what I shared was helpful. I definitely learned a lot from Fiona, whose three children are much older than Malcolm. You can find the Woke Isn't Enough podcast through their webpage, HealingEquityUnited.com. I encourage you to listen to their other episodes. Welcome to Woke Isn't Enough a podcast created by two women of color who think that it's time to move collectively beyond checking the boxes when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm Jess Aiden Lee, and I'm here with my colleague, Fiona Oliphant, and we are the founders of Healing Equity United. We know that children are aware of what's happening. You know, they're watching TV, they're going out to the streets of Oakland and they're seeing different types of murals painted and they're inevitably asking questions, right, about what's going on. So that's one of the many reasons why we felt like this topic was really important and timely for us today. And so, you know, I um, wanted to see if, if Fiona and John could maybe introduce yourselves, tell us about your kids, um, and then we can get into the conversation about what it's like to, to engage them in racial equity conversations at this time. So, um, John, do you want to start? Hi, everybody. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jessica and Fiona, for having me on today. My name is John Wen Yap. I am here uh, in Oakland. I am a father to one four-year-old. His name is Malcolm. He just turned four a couple of weeks ago, or actually almost a month ago. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this conversation. I think it, I think about it all the time. I'm, my partner and I all bring her bring her uh, perspectives into this conversation as well. Uh, I'm also a co-host of a, a podcast called Papa Culture Pod. Uh, sometimes we're talking about serious things, but oftentimes we're not. But we are talking about fatherhood and other things like that. But uh, I appreciate being on to talk about this. Great, thank you. And Fiona, tell us about your your many children. So sometimes it feels like I have 500 children, but I only have three. Um, the eldest is 22, the middle child is 16, and the youngest is 12. And, you know, quite frankly, we've been having these conversations for the past 22 years with them, right? It, it starts from a very early age because they are far more perceptive than we give them credit for. And you'll be surprised by, John, I'm sure we're going to talk about this, surprised by the questions that a four-year-old or a three-year-old can pose. And if you're not quick on your feet, you may get caught out there. So we've been talking about these issues for a really long time. And I love to have space to discuss with a larger group of folks how we are going to tackle this in 2020, because this has been a heck of a year. Yes, it has. And so, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, given the events of the last few months around racial equity in this country, racial tensions, Black Lives Matter, what conversations have, have you been having with your children about these issues and how, how is it coming up for them? I can so I'll, I'll go and I'll, I will def, definitely double down on what Fiona had mentioned about starting this really early. I mean, again, Malcolm is four, but he was three and a half when, um, in this particular part of the movement, part of this particular, uh, um, these specific events happened. Um, and so we, we've talked, we talked to him about racial issues and racism and other, other aspects of, you know, empathy and figuring, figuring out like in terms of inequity, but that, that started from way back, like, Fiona said, this started when we first started reading to him, even before he was born, whom my partner would read to him um, when he was in utero. And, but particularly around what's been happening lately, uh, it happened to be a, a chance for us. We, we drove down to downtown Oakland uh, the day, the, the Monday or Tuesday after the initial protest happened. And so everything was pretty raw. There was lots of um, 
spray paint on the walls and there was a big uh, burn mark in the middle of the Broadway where some things had happened. But he he's perceptive, as Fiona said, the kids are perspective, they see things. So he saw a picture of someone, and it happened to be George Floyd, and he asked who that was. And then so we, we answered, he says George Floyd and kind of went into what happened and just saying he got killed. Um, he got killed by bad people. And then he proceeded to ask more questions. Um, and so that for the for the most part, that's how we introduce that, that what's been happening. We don't necessarily watch news in front of him or show anything because um, even for adults, that could be tra traumatic. But um, that is in, in this particular moment, that's how we started talking to him about it. Great, thank you. And what was that experience like for your for your children, Fiona? I'm also really interested in hearing about how, because you have children of all different ages, how, how is it being received by all, all of them? So I'll start with the 12 year old first. It's really interesting because he's always on his computer, he's playing video games, he's talking to his friends, he's you know, going to um, ride his bicycle and you kind of think he's not paying attention. He's tuned out, right? And then he'll say the most perceptive thing. And you know, we were watching a, a movie um, we were watching Harriet Tubman, actually, and he had such insightful commentary about, you know, oh, that's the same thing that's happening now, or, oh, things haven't changed, or, you know, we were watching a horror movie. Don't judge me. Yes, the 12-year-old watched a horror movie. And then there was a Black male character, and he turned to me and he said, well, you know, that guy's going to die first. And I was both shocked and heartbroken because at the age of 12, he had already figured that out. He'd already figured out what Hollywood has to say about this, about how Hollywood values black and brown lives and particularly black male lives. And, and he had put everything that he heard from me because yes, I do watch CNN in front of him. Um, heard from the news and he put it together with what he saw in the movies and he came up with his own calculus and it, it was it was quite intriguing and so yes we've had many many conversations about what's been happening and that didn't start this year um how he feels about it whether or not he wanted to go to any protests he did not my 16 year old is like we're taking it to the street, we'll do what we have to do, let's go. Okay, mommy, you can't be out there because of your health issues. Daddy, you're driving me, let's go. Made great signs, like heartbreaking signs, naming all of the black folks killed by the police. Um, and then on the back put red handprints all over it. And so, it was so heartbreaking and powerful because it said that, um, basically it said that the ground of U.S. soil had been fertilized with Black people's blood. And so the handprints represented the blood that was trailing down into the soil. And I was like, oh my God, my poor 16 year old, what am I gonna do? But yeah, he's out there in the streets. He wants to protest, he wants to change, he can't wait to vote. He's, you know, he's got his eyes on the prize and the 22 year old social media queen. I have no, I didn't know she was that radical, quote unquote radical, right? And, the, you know, she's like, how many days since we talked about Breonna Taylor, how many days till some, like every two seconds on social media and um, has a fair number of followers. So is really trying to push her age group to become more active as well. So that's how the three of them are handling it in their different spaces. Great, thank you. You know, John, I'm kind of curious about, mm -hmm. about Malcolm. You're a four-year-old, right? Yeah. So, you know, he's, I've known him for a few years. <laughs> he's, he's grown a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just curious about like, how is he perceiving race? And, yeah. color and his own, you know, like Asian American identity, because he's he's mm -hmm. in that that developmental stage, right? Mm -hmm. So, so 
So can you tell us a little bit more yeah. about his journey with that? Yeah, definitely. And uh, again, it's uh, as Fiona was talking about how sometimes you don't realize how how perceptive and how much your children are soaking up. And you know, obviously, four years versus twelve years and sixteen years and twenty two is different, but still, it's it's so much that they're soaking up. And and, and this particular thing, and this is kind of like the that reminder to us is I remember one time he must have been two. I mean, he could talk, and but he was referring to people. We didn't realize it at the moment, but he's like. Oh, is the the dark one or the light one? And we weren't sure what he meant. And sometimes it means a shirt. But then in, in that instance, he was talking about skin color. And it could have been, uh, it probably was in a book or a TV show or something like that. But he was very, I mean, he, he, he sees it, you know, and children are super perceptive to differences um, in a great way. You know, they see... They see the differences. They don't put necessarily any value in it, but they they see the differences. So he's been conscious of that. And part you know part of it too is that Kung and I uh, talking about Asian American identity. We've um, we're we're fortunate because both of our parent sets are still um, very local, close by. So uh, and then Hung can speak Vietnamese. So again, since in utero she was saying some stuff in Vietnamese, so he could hear it. You know whatever that means. And then my parents could say, could talk to Galog and her um, parents can speak Vietnamese. But beyond that, in terms of just uh, soaking things up, we always um, have said, uh, Malcolm, you're brown. And then we would, as a joke, but also seriously, like, daddy's brown, you're brown, you're brown like daddy. And um, uh, mommy, you're, mommy's yellow and you're yellow like mommy, <laughs> you know, we, we talk about that. So. We want him to be conscious of um, skin color because he is, or he already is conscious of it, but we want him to be conscious about it in a kind of a, uh, a proud way, you know? So that's kind of where we're at with it. There was one time, a funny story, we're in a car and um, we're like, hey, Malcolm, you're, you're, um, you're Filipino and Vietnamese or something like that. And <laughs> he's like, no, I'm not. I'm, um, and then we're, what, what are you? He said, he said, I'm a burrito or something like that. So he, he doesn't necessarily understand that part yet, but he's, uh, he's able to recognize that, um, that he is brown and he's brown like me because he is a little darker than my, than my partner. And um, he, he recognizes that I'm proud of it. And it's definitely something that we want him to, to grow up with. Great. So both of you have have black um, boys, and we know that in the U.S. that black and Southeast Asians are incarcerated at higher rates than other racial minority groups. So as parents of black and brown boys, what are some concerns that you have about your children, and and how has that? How do you think that might change as they grow up? And are you thinking about having discussions with them about? criminal justice. That can be that can be really scary. You want to go first, John? Yeah, sure, I can go. It's uh, it's a good question because I have I mean, I, I'm thinking about it, but it's, it's it's a little bit further down for us. Uh, but you know, part the way part of the angle I've thought about it a little bit more lately is just thinking about what he is and who, who he represents with us being able to stay in Oakland for a long term and what that means being presenting as Asian, you know, and what that means in the larger, um, the larger dialogue around race and how media will pit Asian Americans against other ethnic groups. And so for me in that matter, I want him to recognize who he is and also recognize, um, what that might mean. So, I mean, how, th how that will go, I'm not sure yet in terms of talking about privilege and the different layers of privilege because being a, being a boy, at least um, right now he's, he's a boy um, or male. Um, and then also being Asian presenting and what that means later on when he's at school. But um, I'm not too sure how I'm gonna discuss it, but we are gonna discuss it and, you know, we purposefully Looked, you know, when we look, we're looking at schools, and this is a whole another conversation we could have about school rankings because I'm not a really big fan of those. Um, I'm sure neither <laughs> many people aren't either. But one of the more important things that we we're looking at was the, the the diversity of the school population, and also trying to figure out the diversity of the the educators there, which was more important than what a ranking was in terms of other things. Um, not to just throw those out, but 
uh, we, we, he'll, we'll be talking to him about what that means and kind of like a, a social construct and like where he fits in and where he doesn't and um, how, to, how to navigate that and understand his own um, place. Yeah, so for me, you know, Willem, that's my, my 12 year old, the youngest. Um, yeah, he's the last, right? And so it, he's at this heartbreaking age for me as the mother of a, a black boy of he is no longer, he's right on the cusp of being this cute little kid to being what society may perceive as an intimidating, aggressive, possibly criminal person, right? And so, yeah, I've had lots of conversations. I've, some, some conversations have gone well, some not so well. I'll be honest about that. So for my 16-year-old, um, we'd walk into a store, like for example, Barnes & Noble. Sorry, the dog is barking. Um, We'd walk, in, we'd walk into a store, for example, a Barnes & Noble, and, you know, if um, the child had a, their own book in a bag, they would try to take their own book out of the bag and compare it to the books that are on the stands and all this kind of thing, and I would completely lose my mind. I'd be like, you cannot do that. You don't go in your bag. You don't take things that you own out of your bag and then take them out because everybody's going to think you stole something. People are going to perceive you as a thief, right? And so then the child would respond. This is the, the middle child. Why are you projecting your experiences onto me? That hasn't been my experience. And I'm like, well, that hasn't been your experience because you're still too young to have had it happened to you and I'm trying to protect you, right? So I have to be mindful of walking that fine line of informing but not scaring, um, informing but not projecting. And for the 12 year old, I'm like, okay, yeah, but you can't behave a certain way. And I know this is horrible and it's putting more pressure on him to present in a different way. So he can't show up as his authentic self right? But um, regardless of what his authentic self is going to be, people are going to perceive him as a threat, especially as he gets taller. I mean, he's getting really tall. And as long, you know, he starts to develop more muscles, right? People are going to perceive him as a threat. So I'm like, no, you cannot be in a large group of kids, you know, being loud in the street. You cannot go walking through the mall yeah, thanks to COVID, nobody's really doing that anymore. But, you know, a little posse of five boys walking through the mall, that might be okay for some. No, you cannot do that. There are things that you, as my child at least, cannot do because I don't want to put you at any further exposure to law enforcement than necessary. So I, I know it's not perfect. Um, I know it's not nuanced. But I, I have to let them know that there's a different standard for them in terms of dealing with law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And I'll say it definitely is heartbreaking just thinking about that, right? And um, again, I don't have, I have an experience to that myself in terms of being a father, a parent since Malcolm's so young. But, you know, we were on uh, the 80, the so it's a freeway here in California and uh, Oakland. We were driving and on the other side, there was a little bumper to bumper and there was a family that was... Um, that, that was part of it, and uh, a father was holding a son there, a black family, and you could see the the son was traumatized because an accident on the freeway is traumatizing. And just thinking about his innocence and how sad he was, and thinking about how much more traumatic that can be, maybe in five years when he has to experience, a, he may likely experience another bad um, or maybe experience with law enforcement, whether it's CHP or someone at the school, like a school resource officer or anybody, anybody, or even at the, like you said, at, at the mall, some security guard's going to um, pick on them for just, you know, being kids who are kids be kids, right? Yeah, so speaking of, of schools, um, you know, I feel like talking about racial equity issues is something that, you know, teachers are beginning to pick up on, you know, that we've had a couple of teachers come to some of our trainings, um, you know, like over the summer. And so I guess I'm wondering, like for, for teachers who 
decide to talk about race inside the classroom? Like, do you believe parents should get a heads up if teachers want to talk about race inside the classroom? Or should it just be part of the curriculum? And how would you deal with, with feedback and sometimes negative feedback from parents? So I think that I don't necessarily need a quote unquote heads up when the teacher is going to have that conversation. My caveat being if that teacher knows how to have a nuanced conversation about it and to hold an appropriate space. Now, if you're going to have this conversation and then expose my child to being targeted and blamed and, you know, asked, being asked to be the voice for an entire people, right? Because my, my children go to predominantly white schools. Um, now nah, I'm not okay with that. But if you normalize conversations about race and equity and inclusion, I'm okay with that. Having said that, I don't know how many teachers feel really comfortable holding that space and ensuring that everyone is treated with respect and dignity in that space. I know that more and more schools are trying to cultivate spaces like that um, because the school is, you know, has become a microcosm of what's happening in our society and schools are becoming more polarized, right? And kids are being targeted and attacked and bullied due to their race, their ethnicity, their language ability, all kinds of things. So I know that more and more schools are trying to hold space. So I don't need a heads up but I do need you to know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, John? Uh, yeah, I'm nodding heavily because yeah, my, my instant reaction was yes and no. Yeah, actually no, but kind of yes is more <laughs> my reaction. No, I don't, I, I don't expect that. At the same time, yeah, I totally agree that not all teachers unfortunately are capable of, um, at least at this moment, talking about it in a very uh, fruitful and uh, nuanced and multifaceted way. And we, they talk about race in, in classes. I mean, at least in my history, in my experience, like I remember in um, middle school and high school learning about race in some ways, right? Like with, obviously you can't avoid it when you're talking about civil rights, you can't avoid it with some other things, but um, it's also a very cute, tidy uh, story that is told. You know, and I forgot who I was talking to about this recently about um, how the civil rights movement it gets cleaned up very easily in the chapter and in history classes. And that's why, you know, protests and protests getting very complicated. Um, many of us, uh, our generation who we think have have seen all these um, it's stories or have been taught this still get critical about how people are protesting. Oh, that, don't do it that way. Be blah, 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 blah. Um, I, I would love for the teachers to be trained to be able to talk about this in multifaceted ways and not just history class or English class. I think you need talking about it in STEM classes, um, talking about uh, uh, representation, all the other, uh, other ways to do it. And I don't expect teachers to be completely the, the, the bearers of this whole responsibility, but I would want them to be trained properly to be able to talk about it. And um, if that was the case, then yeah, I wouldn't, um, I, I don't need to be told about um, that they're gonna be talking about difficult subjects. I would hope that they're talking about so difficult subjects, but not in a way to be uh, targeted or be done um, very uh, irresponsibly. Yeah, you know, I think that that's interesting, John, that you brought up that point, because I think, you know, they are discussing race, right? When they're talking about how um, people, the Native Americans, Indigenous people are, had their land taken away from them, right? But they may not say, well, you know, the Europeans came and it was because of racism that you took, but I mean, you kind of, they're talking about it, right? And they're talking about it with slavery, right? It's like all black people brought over from Africa. It's like, even if they don't actually say it's racism, kids get that there is, definitely like something different, right? And it's usually the race factor. And so, you know, I'm really curious, Fiona, because you, um, one of your sons goes to high school, right? 
Um, and, and at that high school, there's been a couple of incidents where there were, there was the N word used and there were a couple of like hate incidents that happened. And so would you mind sharing if you're comfortable, you know, what conversations, if any, the school had with parents, you know, parents of color and white parents and what feedback did white parents give, you know, like, like where, where is that? Where's that conversation going? Like, do you think the teachers are trained? Yeah, tell us about that. So I have to say that um, my middle child's principal, the current principal, has been doing a fantastic job of addressing this, right? He is all over it. He um, started a school-wide initiative where the students are talking about issues of equity and inclusion. Um, some of the students are not so happy about that. And so like, I mean, it's a pilot program. So kids are like, you're gonna take my one free period away to talk about stuff that I'd rather not discuss in school. Thank you very much. Um, but he's been very um, thoughtful in how to engage the county, the students, the administrators, the teachers and the parents in this effort. Now, having said that, there are some teachers at this school, oh my goodness, I could tell you some stories, right? Um, so I don't know how that's going to fly with, with them. Um, there are some parents who, some white parents in particular, who have pushed back. It's like, why is this necessary? Why are you coming down so hard on the kids who have done these hateful, hurtful things? Um, you know, they're just children, children make mistakes. And then there are some parents of color who are like, oh, we need to be doing this and so much more, right? So we have um, folks from all over the spectrum, but you know, he has called uh, parents to come together to talk about race equity and inclusion. It is to, um, basic for some folks and it's not moving fast enough for other folks and there's a yet another group who are like oh my goodness that never occurred to me does that really happen are you sure they're using the n-word every day in school that couldn't be it couldn't be my johnny or my sally no offense john right so <laughs> like there are some parents who are really shocked that this is playing out in the school. Um, yeah, so, so there you have it. I mean, it's again, it's a microcosm of what's happening in society at large. You know what, let's talk a little bit about, about other parents, right? Because you both have to deal with other parents. Um, and, you know, what, what advice would you have for white parents? who want to be allies in this moment? What are some ways that they can engage as allies? And what are some ways that they might be able to have their kids engage in allyship? You go first, John. Sure. So I, was, I had to take some notes on this to kind of kind of um, <laughs> uh, narrow this down a little bit. But I, I think, I mean, so, so some of the things that I was kind of uh, reflecting on is, uh, one to not center yourself in in this um in the dialogue i think it's it's great to to be wanting to be an ally but um also um there's this natural reaction for many people to to hear someone's struggles or someone's story don't forget about struggle but for someone's story and wanting to connect you'll say oh i totally understand what you you're saying well no no you really don't and sometimes it's a matter of just listening uh in terms of uh uh, for themselves and for their kids, I think there's the work on understanding the the great layers of um, that are involved with racism. And it kind of goes back to what we we're talking about with with schools that uh, racism, discrimination, bigotry, prejudice—they're all kind of lumped into the same thing to be synonymous when they're not synonymous. And understanding that there's there's individual behavior, there's individual interactions, there's um, there's hurtful interactions between kids that maybe they don't understand what they're doing. 
Um, so understanding the, that uh, micro level of interactions, but also understanding what it means, what's the difference between discrimination and prejudice and um, racism and all those things. Um, uh, I would encourage deeper human skills, like critical thinking and empathizing. I think um, there's, there's always going to be a situation where our kids, ourselves, you know, I remember being growing up and, you know, Fiona said no, no, uh, no offense when you use the, the name. I've said lots of stupid things, even through my 20s and 30s. So, you know, like, no, I, you know, I've had to unlearn and learn many things. Um, but it, I feel like with the kids, if they can ask critical questions and, uh, understand empathy and how to operationalize empathy i think that, that will go f really far with um not wanting to latch on to those negative things that that will translate into behavior um and also i encourage being willing to make healthy mistakes you know not like outright um malicious mistakes but you know no, myself included as an ally as a asian american male um navigating this world um I sometimes get scared to say the wrong thing when I think sometimes I need to be more, I need to own my, um, my unknowing of certain things so I can get corrected or I could get educated so I could be a better ally too. Yeah, and just building off of that, I would say two things. One, for white parents, don't be afraid to be direct in what you're saying to your children. Don't use euphemisms. Don't beat around the bush. Don't use allegories. Be direct. The way Susie treated Jane, I think might be because of the color of Jane's skin. And that was wrong of Susie. Susie shouldn't do that, right? And that's called racism or that's called prejudice. Like name things, be articulate with your kids and your kids, starting from a very young age, will understand this because what they had the doll test with toddlers. And when they're toddlers, they've already figured out this race thing, right? So use very concrete language with your children to express your views on how you stand. The second thing I would say is kids are really big on what you do, not necessarily what you say. So you could be talking out of your mouth, and then treating folks of color less than, right? And, you know, disregarding the input of folks of color who may be your colleagues, or talking about folks of color who live in your neighborhood a certain way, or talking about your property value going down because the local Black family moved in, right? You're not saying that to your children, but your behavior is modeling what your children are going to take away, right? So I will say, one, be direct and articulate with your language, but two, back it up. Back it up with your behavior, because kids pick up far more from what you're doing or not doing than they do from what you say. Yeah, so you know, when I, I, I think about like when I was young and I'm a first generation immigrant, so I came to this country when I was four. So I came from Hong Kong, which is more uh, homogenous, right? Um, and I came and our family moved to New York City, which is very different, right? In a lot of ways. Um, and I went to an elementary school that was fairly diverse, although I didn't know it at the time. So when I was in kindergarten, I was about four or five. I remember that that was like the first time that I learned that there was color, that other people had color, and that other people were different. And so, you know, I was, I had a best friend who was Latina. I don't know how I had a best friend who was Latina because I didn't speak any English. And I don't even know how we communicate. You know, like kids play, right? Like, I don't even know how we communicate, but. I remember like I pointed her out to my mom one day after I got dropped off. I was like, oh, that's my best friend. And she's like, why are you playing with her? She's different. And I, I didn't get it. And I was like, do you mean because she has curly hair? Because you have curly hair, mom. Like, I don't, I don't get it. And she's like, no, just look at the color of her skin. She's different. She's not Chinese. And I'm like, I, I didn't really get it. But I remember that was the first time that I was like, okay, there's something here. 
people are different. There's categories of people, you know, and and something that, you know, a question that that um, has come up in the chat is um, from an attendee who has a four year old white son and he's never said anything about race and even when um, she tries to gently see if he notices differences in skin color, he doesn't say anything. And so, for example, while reading a book with a black main character, she might ask him, do you know any, do you notice anything about Max? And he still doesn't say anything. And he says something like, oh, he's tall. He's never said anything when we have spent time with black friends. Should I just point out differences in skin color to him or wait until he notices or says something? If so, what's the best way to bring it up to a four-year-old? So John, do you wanna, you wanna go for it since you have a four-year-old at home? Yeah, so, uh, well, as, as I mentioned earlier, we, we started, you know, before he was uh, born. So, um, and not just from a, you know, like a, a brown or Asian versus white kind of like um, uh, dichotomy, it's kind of just, uh, consciousness of knowing that, that that's the reality and they're gonna they're, they're gonna figure it out so we started talking about this and having diverse images in books in, in art that's um in the, the, the different things think people that look like him people that didn't look like him people that identify differently um with gender or different different stories about parenting um that came up since we've been reading to him since he was a kid and using the words and um like fiona said naming things we we say those big words um and not necessarily around more uh, these issues but although we do like you know when we're talking about george floyd um i i would lean on bringing it up because the reality is they're going to recognize it at some point and it's better for them to learn it in a safer space that you can discuss um the differences and also embrace them. I, I think one of the issues that uh, I've learned in this country, and I can't speak for any others because I haven't lived there except when I was a kid, <laughs> is that uh, the differences get kind of brushed under the rug to, to be bad, but I don't think it's bad. It's great to be different. It's great, it's great to notice that we are different and to, to n notice that um, we're all not going to be the same and there's um, there's strength and love, and there's obviously inequity in that, um, based off how, how uh, society has been constructed and continuing to run. But uh, I would prefer to um, ha manage that kind of learning at home myself, rather than them picking it up at school, where eventually they are going to be learning somehow or some way that um, uh, physical looks of people are going to be different, and that means something that it'll mean something. Can I just turn the question around? It's like, um, maybe it isn't that um, the four-year-old in question hasn't noticed any differences, but maybe the four-year-old in question has already learned that you're not supposed to state the differences, right? So somehow he, he has already figured out that, there, it, that it's taboo to address race. Yeah. And so, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think that it might be helpful to, because I, I'm just known for doing this to the embarrassment of my children. I, oh my goodness, look at your beautiful fill in the blank eyes. Oh my gosh, your hair is so, and you know, curly kinky, but I, but like in a, oh my God, this is so wonderful. Or, oh my goodness, I love your freckles. They are, and it's so there's not um, attributing, you know, I'm only going to talk about somebody's skin color, but it's like, I am going to value all of this person. I'm going to value their big eyes. I'm going to value their kinky hair. I'm going to value their, I don't know, whatever. But like, I, I did it so much that the kids, like I said, were really embarrassed because I'd say it to anybody anywhere. Like, oh my goodness, you're fill in the blank, right? So um, again, modeling that behavior to the child so that the child is not um, afraid to articulate the difference that he's already figured out. And what about in conversations with other adults? Like when you're, you know, how do you 
how do you suggest addressing comments from other adults, you know, who might say things around your kids that, that you don't, you as parents don't agree with, right? Like saying things like, you know, that encourage them to be colorblind or that we're all the same people, you should treat people equally versus equitably, you know, so, so how do you, I mean, I, I don't, yeah, what do you think? I mean, I'm just, I'm just curious, like, how do you, how do you like talk to other parents who are trying to teach your kids things that you may not want your kids? <laughs> I'd love to hear Fiona's experiences because there's so many more years to that. I haven't, personally, I haven't had to deal with that except with my parents and, um, and family members. And that's a totally kind of different conversation related, but different. So I'd love to hear what Fiona has to say. So I, I usually try to reframe the conversation. Oh, I can see how you you under you think that way. Yes, we're all valued as human beings, but some of us are treated differently than others. Or, um, you know, to be colorblind. So, so one thing that came up when my older two were younger was um, America's a melting pot. So parents would say that all the time around my children, and. I would say, you know, I, I used to really love that imagery, but now I think of it as a fruit salad, right? So, and then I would turn to the kids and be like, yeah, with pineapples and oranges, and you don't want them to lose their flavor. You don't want them to lose their texture, right? Because you really love pineapple and you really love mangoes and you really, and so, yeah, America's like a fruit salad. We get lots of different types of fruit. We put them in a bowl, that's America. And we all live in the bowl together, but we're still different types of fruit. All really tasty, wonderful, great fruit. I would go with that approach. Great, so, um, you know, I, it sounds like we might have to, depending on where we're located, to supplement the learnings that our kids have in schools, right? And so, you know, John, um, I'm curious to hear about how you're planning on talking, to, how, you're, how are you planning on talking to Malcolm about the Philippines and how the Philippines was like a colony and racism intervened in oh. the Philippines as its own country? You know, like how do you, how do you have conversations like that? I'm a, for that one, I haven't had it yet, but I'm going to hit that straight up, you know, and talk about whatever that means in terms of religion and last names and um uh i mean at some point talking about um uh voting patterns by filipino americans um especially in, in 2016 but uh not the conversation but i i would hit that um conversation pretty straightforward um obviously at different ages what that means what would that would look like uh but um, because they under, you know, kind of going back to some things that we were talking about earlier, they, they understand things differently. You know, like as, as three-year-olds and four-year-olds, they're not going to necessarily understand like um, uh, social strat uh, stratification of like uh, race and color and religion and economics and all that stuff. But they'll understand uh, direct interaction, but it's our responsibility to connect that direct interaction to something bigger. Um, and so that's what we try to do is uh, the direct interaction, direct behavior to each other, our, our impacts on each other, our impacts on them, feelings and all that stuff is one thing. And then talking about how, uh, trying to figure out ways to expand it to a bigger topic. But once um, I get to get, get a chance to talk about colonialism, I will be um, really uh, happy to talk about, not happy in a happy, uh, joyous way, but happy to um, confront that um, reality. And so what are some of the, the books or activities or movies or things that you're, you're um, using to, to help shape the way your kids are thinking about these issues? Like I know one of my friends who's a parent and has, a, has, a, has young children has banned Disney. Like the Disney movies that we grew up with, right? Like Pocahontas, you know, like um, the Prince of Egypt, like, like ban them straight out, right? Like because they don't want the, their kids' perceptions around race to be shaped by Disney. And so what are some of the movies or books or, I don't know, like 
what are, what are kids doing on iPad these days? I don't know. So like, what are some of the resources that you're, you're using to, to, you know, help your kids understand these issues? So, you know, I always go the route of books. So, um, Actually, I'll tell you a very quick, funny story. So today, like I said, the 12 year old, he reads a lot, a fair amount, and he's into dystopian novels and he's into fantasy. And so I've been handing off some books. I, I, I you know, curate my books for him and I've been handing him some books. And just today he sat on the couch. He said, you know, mommy, I'm noticing a pattern with you. I said, what's the pattern? He said, all the books you're giving me are set in Africa with a female protagonist. <laughs> it's like, so you've caught on to my plan. <laughs> so that's what I've been doing, quite frankly, is like to really ensure that my kids are number one, seeing themselves in the books that they're reading, like seeing themselves reflected in the literature. I try to maintain at least a 50-50 balance in terms of representation until the 12 year old caught on. And so now I'm probably gonna have to throw something else in there in the mix. Um, but for the older one, there's um, Stamped by Jason Reynolds and Ibram Kendi. Um, he also read this summer, The Fire Next Time. And he read, um, mm, yeah, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, that one didn't go over so well with the 16-year-old. He's like, this is a letter to his son. This is ridiculous. The sentences are too long. He uses big words. His son could never understand this. This is so, eh. But some other things like, um, I know why the cage bursts sing, right? And so even though that isn't specifically around race, racism, racial equity, it does present a lived experience that I think should be lifted up and that the kids should be familiar with instead of going the old route of um, to kill a mockingbird or something like that. Like we can put that on the shelf, right? Let's read Zora Neale Hurston and let's read Maya Angelou and let's, let's focus on um, works that represent you. So what about you? Yeah, so we're we're definitely a few years from those um, texts, but we, we'd love to introduce those. But yeah, we, we the way that we've curated his book collection um, is kind of like that. We want we want it to be representative of very of, of things that represent him or that he could see himself, but also see other people. I think is very important for us is that he sees other people, other kind of um, uh, experiences. Um, in, in terms of children's books, a good question about the apps. I don't really know. The, the problem with apps is that they're not really created by people of color um, with, with that kind of angle. So uh, anything that's PBS or so, at least somehow uh, educational is just the, the route we go. But for some books I'll, I'll uh, recommend. One is the series called um, Ordinary People. Have it written down here. Ordinary People Change the World is by a writer called Brad, named Brad Meltzer and illustrated by Chris Eliopoulos. Um, he, uh, I saw it's you a cat. <laughs> yes, Malcolm. It's a, uh, it's a, with a caveat, Brad Meltzer is obviously, and both, both creators are, um, are white men, and they still, uh, Brad Meltzer is a lover of history. So, but the, the reason why we like those books and they've been really helpful for us is as we've been saying, as I've been saying, we started these conversations from way before Malcolm could even talk, right? And probably didn't understand most of it. And at least in those stories, like we read MLK's story, um, uh, Jackie Robinson, um, Rosa Parks, and um, Helen Keller, that one, you can see different people, different faces. They do talk about racism. They, they, talk, they call it out for what it is. It's still a little bit more kind of basic, but at the same time, it's also a different kind of um, audience. But it made it easy for him because once he, you know, he learned about George Floyd, once we, he learned about Black Lives Matter, he recognized that term. Uh, once he went to uh, a Black Lives Matter a family um, per, uh, march or parade in Oakland, um, he, he, he learned some, some of those chants and he's kind of um, internalized it as something that's positive and good and um, something he wants to do. 
but so it's a it's a it's a place where people can it's kind of a safer place to talk about that stuff. One other book I will recommend is um, Jack and Ague by Justine Villanueva, illustrated by Lenore Bontigo. It's about um, a Filipino American kid who, you know, likes all the things that um, quote unquote that other kids would like pirates, uh, astronauts, etc. But he was reading all these books and all the people um, in those books were white. So he ended up coloring them brown and got in trouble for it. So his mom introduced him to this story of like a, um, of a, a Filipino uh, folk tale. And so he could identify with that person, you know. So um, those are two books that, or two books or book series that I'd appreciate. Great, so in closing, um, what's something that you would like to leave our, our audience with? I would say, um, as I've said, it's not, it's never too young. They're never too young to understand and talk about uh, the realities of the world. It's just a matter of understanding how best to talk to them about that um, and repeatedly talking about it and, uh, and also us being accountable to our behaviors, holding them accountable to, to those things too and um, uh, understanding that they are part of a interconnected world. And I would just add that all of this is really stressful. It's, it's really stressful. As, as, an as an adult, it's hard for us to grapple with what's going on. Um, you know, I could count the things from climate to pandemics to, you know, folks being killed by police. Um, and kids have a way of making the world all about them, which it is, right? In our eyes, the world revolves around them. But they also internalize stuff in such a way that we have to be really careful how we have these conversations and how we hold space for them and how we ensure that even though we can't protect them from all of the uncertainty of the world, that, you know, that, that our bubble is a safe place for them to come to us with their concerns, with their questions, that no question is taboo, no question is off limits, no feelings are um, going to be shut down, right? Like, I would just love for folks to ensure that their kids understand that all of the traumas that they are feeling, they're not feeling alone, and that we would support them. It obviously in age appropriate ways to have that conversation, but I think it's really important to let them know that their emotions are valid, um, things like that. Great, thank you all so much for joining us today.